Good morning, Community Grace. My name is Tyson Ashenfelter, and I have the privilege of bringing you today's scripture reading. Uh, we'll be in two different places. We will start in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And then John 14, verses 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Thank you, Tyson. Thank you, praise team. Hi, everybody. I'll add my greetings to everyone who's tuning in from the church family and friends far and wide. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever noticed that you tend to pray more when there's a crisis taking place in your life? A priest, a minister, and a guru were shopping at a hardware store <clears throat> for supplies during the, the, during the coronavirus pandemic. And they began talking about prayer, discussing at length the best posture for prayer. The priest said, kneeling is by far the best posture for prayer. And the minister said, no, no, I get the best results by standing up straight with my arms out to heaven. And the guru said, no, no, you're both wrong. Laying down on the ground is by far the most effective mode of praying. Meanwhile, Ed Boggs, one of our church members, a farmer, was standing near them in the hardware store. And he could, take him, he could contain himself no longer. Hey, fellas, he interrupted. I was trapped in a half-filled corn silo one day with the bottom rung of the ladder just out of my reach, wondering if I would ever give, get out. I prayed for an hour and a half straight, standing knee-deep in corn. And God gave me the strength after an hour and a half of praying in that posture. And I jumped higher than I've ever jumped before and grabbed the bottom rung of the ladder and climbed out. The best position for prayer is sometimes when your life is in a crisis. That's a semi-true story. I asked Ed to share me a, a good farming story where he, where he depended on prayer. And uh, I took a couple of embellishments. Still, he prayed for an hour and a half. That part's true. And he jumped higher than he'd ever jumped before, grabbed onto that rung. And that's a fun story. His life was in a minor crisis at that moment, and he prayed hard. I think we can all relate to that. I'm really excited about uh, that each of you is turning, tuning in today to watch this broadcast of our church service on live stream this morning because I believe that as a result of our time together today, we are going to help a lot of people get saved by Jesus. All right, as a result of today, the body of Community Grace is going to see hundreds, if not thousands, of new souls saved by Jesus in heaven. How is that going to happen? It's going to happen because today we are going to act on a matter that is very dear to God's heart. That is trusting in his goodness and his sovereign power during life's crises 
and praying for people who don't presently have a relationship with Jesus as their Savior, Redeemer, Rescuer, and Lord. He is powerful, and he works through our prayers. That's our topic today. We have a two-week break from our Colossians series, which is Christ Greater Than All. It's been a great and fitting season uh, series for the season that we're in, to be sure. But today, we've had this prayer sermon and prayer weekend planned since the beginning of the year, and how appropriate that is today. Next week is Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week, and then the following week is Easter. We'll also have a Good Friday service at a different venue. Uh, we have great plans set for that. But prayer is our goal today. Much prayer. Much prayer. Because prayer is God's will. Because prayer brings God's answers. Because prayer is where the power lies to make any real difference in a time of crisis. Because prayer aligns our hearts with God. Because prayer is what changes lives. Prayer is our goal today. Much prayer. Now to get there in a powerful and relevant way, I'm going to frame this message and the current situation that the globe, everybody in the world is facing right now in this crisis, in a light that Christians far too often forget. That is Christian history. So we'll talk about God's power and how it has been demonstra demonstrated throughout history today. And then we'll see how our prayers impact that. So first, if you have your sermon notes or just looking at the screen, you'll see the point one is that God demonstrates his power in the crises of history. And he does so in a couple different ways. He demonstrates his power in the crises of all of human history in a couple ways. The first is as sovereign over the crises. Before I explain exactly what that means, let me ask this question. How, first, do crises even exist? And I'll answer that. The Bible answers that. Death ex exists because of the fall of mankind into sin. Viruses and other predators and disasters that kill humans exist because of the fall of mankind into sin. Romans 5 and 8 tell us this. Romans 5, 12, first, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all, because all have sinned. Death entered the world. Viruses, other predators, disasters that kill humans exist because of what Romans 8 tells us. The same thing, because of the fall of mankind into sin. Verses 19 through 22. For the creation, the creation is affected by sin. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. When God recreates the new heaven and earth, look at how this passage ends. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. That's how crises exist, the fall of mankind into sin. That's the cause of all the crises that we face. 
in our lives. Second, why do crises exist? What's the purpose in them? The next passage I want to look at is critical to our current situation. It is 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11. And I just want you to meditate on this as we read it slowly. Paul writes, For we do not want you to be unaware, okay, and I don't want you to be unaware of this either, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia, time of crisis. Listen to what he says. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer. This gets into where we're going today. So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So God has purposes in crises. Our prayers are powerful in them. Conclusion to that, God is in control through all crises. He is sovereign over the crises. He works his purposes through them. And our big prayers are a part of that by his sovereign decree. This word I've, I've used, sovereignty, maybe that's not familiar to some. The dictionary definition of sovereignty is greatest in power. Okay, that's a political term, greatest in power. They have sovereignty. Well, God's sovereignty means that God is in control over everything. Everything that happens. Every level of reality that exists. He has always been. God is above all things and before all things. Revelation 21.6 says, He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is present everywhere so that everyone can know Him. We should believe in God. We should fear God. His holiness is so great that we should have a healthy, reverent fear of God. That's the beginning of all wisdom, the Bible says. We should learn about God. We should love God and worship God. We should trust God. Trust God at this time. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, when you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. We should trust God and rest in him. He's got this. And we should serve God. God's sovereignty is also the reason that we should give our entire lives to him. We should serve God with our entire lives. So God demonstrates his power in the crises of history as sovereign in control over them, and we can trust that, working his purposes through them. And then second, God has demonstrated his power throughout all history. And that's what I want to draw attention to now as we trace God's sovereign power and his purposes work through the crises throughout history, all of them. And what I'm about to show you is something that I've gained a lot of confidence from about what God could be doing right now in the world. So I want to share this with you. The first requires, this requires first a basic understanding of, of what history is, the Christian understanding, the biblical understanding of history in the first place. This is what we know as the unfolding plan of redemption, God's unfolding plan of redemption. 
This is the story of the entire universe. Okay, I, was, I remember I was in college before I really grasped that all 66 books of the Bible are actually connected into one big story of the world, of the universe. And I'm just going to run through it really briefly. Just a quick, the essence of like a one-minute overview. All right, in the beginning, God existed in eternity. He creates the universe. He creates mankind in his own image to know them and love them. Sin entered the world. The holy God can't be in the presence of sin. There had to be redemption. Genesis 3, sin entered the world. Genesis 11 and 12. By Genesis 11, there were a billion people on the earth. They scattered all over the globe because of their sin of self-sufficiency. But they scattered and got into many, many people groups. But God made a plan to call one of those people groups in Genesis 12 through Abraham to be a special nation to God, the kingdom representation of God on earth, the nation of Israel. And for the next 1,500 years, they were God's chosen people. And all of the Old Testament describes the intricacies of, of what they were pointing to, the Messiah, the Son of God, who would come and fulfill them all. Jesus, the Messiah, comes, and we read about that in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That is the pinnacle moment of all of the human history story. He comes to the world to fulfill all that was spoken of him before, and also to be the final sacrifice for all of humans who believe and trust him and receive his sacrifice. And then after his death, burial, and resurrection, he sends the apostles out and starts the church, the church to be his body, his people, his bride. Sends them all on a mission. No more are God's people just one nation. Now the mission of the apostles of the church is to reach all nations in the world with the good news of Jesus, to restore them all to God's family. Now, we are right in the middle of that part of the story right now. And then Revelation and other prophecies talk about the end. What's still in the future? We don't know how far. But the end, we see pictures in Revelation 5 and Revelation 7 of the great multitude. There were people at the banquet in heaven from every tribe, tongue, and nation. The Great Commission, the mission of Jesus is finished. And we see a vision of that. We are right in the middle of this story, the history of the world. The new heavens and new earth are created and eternity with God in heaven ensues at the end. So, going back to that pinnacle moment where Christ enters the world as the man Jesus, Christ began a movement, the Christian movement, the movement of the gospel that will eventually cover the entire world. Sorry about that. So, what's happened for those 2,000 years that we get to look back in history? Well, just a few thousand Jewish believers in the first century exploded to half of the Roman Empire by the fourth century. And that has exploded yet even more over the last 2,000 years to more than 2 billion people on the world today proclaiming faith in Jesus Christ. How did we get here? And how is today's situation related? These are the questions I want to have on your mind right now. How did we get to 2 billion people and growing in the world Christian movement, the gospel movement? And how is that related to our current situation today with the coronavirus? 
have these questions on your mind right now. And I'm going to use what Ralph Winter, the great missiologist and historian, identifies as four gospel mechanisms. This is how God moves and has grown his movement, the gospel. Ways that he has worked through the events of history, including crises, to move his gospel. So here are the four mechanisms. Go voluntarily, go involuntarily, come voluntarily, and come involuntarily. And I'll demonstrate briefly how God has moved through these, through the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the modern era today, and always will continue. Okay, so here's a little chart, a little grid, and we could do lots and lots of examples, but I'm just going to give one or maybe two examples in each one of these sections, uh, just so you get a feel for how God moves through world events, including crises. Okay, so in the Old Testament period, here's the example for go voluntarily, Abraham. Abraham, God called him to to move his clan to a new place, and he went voluntarily, and the movement began. Next, go involuntarily, Joseph. The movement of God expanded mightily through Joseph, but did he ask to be sold into slavery to make it happen? No. That was involuntary going, and God moved through Joseph. Come voluntary, Ruth. Ruth, who said to Naomi, your people will become my people. Your God will become my God. She went, and she's in the, in the genealogy of Jesus. Come, involuntary. Gentiles forcibly resettled in Israel during the Assyrian exile. And 2 Kings tells us that the Gentiles during that exile that were mixed among with the Israelites, the people of God, began to ask the question, how can we know your God? See how that works? That's a crisis. Exile? but it brought them to knowledge of God. New Testament period, go voluntarily the apostles, of course. They volunteered. They gave their lives to volunteer, to spread Jesus' fame. Go involuntarily the persecuted church. Rome had a succession of very cruel persecuting Roman emperors, and as a result, the Christians, they lost everything. Talk about a personal crisis. And they had to spread out throughout all the Roman Empire. And you know what that did? It brought the church, it brought Christianity, it brought Jesus all throughout the Roman Empire, all throughout the known world. Come voluntarily. The Magi, yeah, we'll follow the star. And they came and found Jesus. Come involuntarily. Roman military. I love how the Bible, the New Testament, includes stories about Roman military people who come to faith in Christ because they were there stationed. They don't get to choose where to go but they were stationed where they saw the events of Jesus and the apostles, and some were even chained to the apostle Paul. That's amazing. And so the gospel grows through that as well. So what happens about the modern era? Missionaries, they go voluntarily, and we need to support their work. Go involuntarily. Military again, they don't get to choose where they go. Business people go where their boss sends them, and when they're believers, they're taking the gospel to all kinds of places where it doesn't currently exist, and God moves. Come voluntarily, international students, immigrants. This is a great ministry to be aware of. There are international students and immigrants in virtually every place in America nearby, and they have come from a place where the gospel is not easy to hear to a place in our own neighborhoods, in our own towns, surrounded by churches where the gospel is easy to hear. Are we reaching them? They trust Christ and go plant churches back in their home country. You see stories of that all the time. Come involuntarily, finally, refugees. And America is 
filled with those as well. Will we reach them with the gospel? Many have. Now, that's a basic overview of how God works through history. I want to say one other, one other story that's personal to us, our church, has come involuntarily. There's another one, one of our elders, Jose Lara. And I don't know if you know his story, but it's a good one of coming involuntarily and meeting Jesus. Jose told me that he was tricked into crossing the border from Mexico to America as a teenager. He did not volunteer to come to America. He did not know Christ. Things eventually led him to Warsaw, Indiana, and eventually led him to meet Christ and give his life to Jesus. And now he is a faithful brother, uh, and their family is a, is a wonderful part of our church. He's an elder, and I've gotten to know him and love him, as many of you have as well. It's a story, it's a fascinating story of crisis for which Jose and his family and people who know him and love him now are very grateful. We see these same mechanisms throughout history for this reason. Because it is God's purpose to accomplish his mission with or without the cooperation of his chosen people. Let me say that again. It's God's purpose to accomplish his mission with or without the cooperation of his chosen people. He will make it happen. Will we cooperate? Let me just give one example from history that's similar to what we're going through now. There are lots. I'm just choosing this one. It's the Vikings. Here is a map of when the Vikings started their move to attack Europe in the ninth century. Europe was prepared for attacks by sea, and they fortified their coastlines. But the Vikings built these narrow ships that could travel on rivers. Dope! Didn't think about the rivers. That's too bad. So surprise, here come these warriors attacking major cities from rivers. For example, if you were living in Paris at the time, here's what you saw one day. Just imagine that you're living peacefully in Paris when 700 ships carrying 40,000 Viking warriors come in. Now, is that going to change your life? That's frightening, isn't it? Now, this tactic was successful for the Vikings, and they conquered many cities in Europe all the way up to Russia. Now, the Vikings were especially drawn in their attacks throughout Europe to churches. Does anyone know why? few reasons. One, the church had a couple things that were very attractive to them. They had a great deal of wealth. And they had young Christian girls that they could capture and take home as wives. They killed many of the priests and monks, but they took some of those priests and monks back to Scandinavia to be educators for their children. How many here or out there are from a Scandinavian background, Denmark, Norway, Sweden. I'm looking at you, blonde hair, blue-eyed friends. All right, we have some. We have one here. I know we have more out there. By the grace of God, God brought your ancestors through the mechanisms of voluntary coming and going and involuntary coming and going as they conquered Europe, moving in among Christians, Okay, you see how that happens? They moved in among the Christians, and the church had, had gotten so wealthy and so powerful 
they had slid into serious error. So the Vikings came in, gave a sense of purifying judgment. God judges nations all throughout the Word of God. That's not up to us to decide what he's doing. But this is what we see all through history. But then, not only did he do that, they brought back the Christian wives, the Christian educators, and the seeds of the gospel began to bear fruit back in Scandinavia. And the Vikings were completely Christianized in under 300 years. See how God moves through crises, moving on a national level, on a world level. And he does that every bit as much as he moves in a personal level in your lives and mine. Just remember again God's determined purpose, that he will accomplish his purposes with or without the cooperation of his chosen people. He will. He is sovereign. He is God. We are not. History teaches us this over and over, and, and we have yet to fully see how God will use the coronavirus pandemic for his glory. But I love, you know, even after just a, a couple weeks, we've seen, and I know you have too, We've seen stories and we've seen really interesting things happen and we've seen personal growth. Um, we've seen opportunities for the church, like the fact that I'm speaking to you online right now and every other church in America virtually is, is too. On and on we go. We're going to see how God uses through this. But the question is, will he have your hearts through it all? Will he have your cooperation and your faith in him, your service to him? One of the most amazing things Scripture reveals is, what, is that God has called us to partner with him. He didn't have to. He does because he loves us. He calls us to partner with him, to be his hands and feet in the world, and to fulfill his ultimate plan of bringing life, the life-saving gospel to all nations of the world. Make disciples of all nations was Jesus' great commission. And we do that by making disciples in the nations. That's what we do. We proclaim Jesus to the world and grow people up in his commands. And again, my goal today is to drive us where our partnership with God, and we're going to talk about that now, but my goal today is to drive us all right where it all begins and where the most powerful force in the universe exists. That's our prayer. This is God's design. And here's point number two, is that God responds to our prayers in the crises of history. He's sovereign over them and he moves his plans in them. Point two is that God responds to our prayers in the crises of history. We're going to look at God's part in our prayers and then our part in our prayers. First, God's part in our prayers. What does God do? What does God do in, his, in this partnership that he's blessed us with? First, God gives us strength. And guess what? He's infinitely strong. So this is the creator of the universe. Have you ever meditated on this? That this is the creator of the universe who's all-powerful and he dwells inside of you. If you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, he's given you new life. He dwells within you, wanting to empower you. He is. Let's look at Scripture. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. There's a story about a little boy whose dad told him to pick up rocks in a certain area of their backyard. And as the dad watched the little boy, he was doing well, but he was struggling 
suddenly with this big, giant, half-buried rock. And he struggled, and he struggled, and he couldn't get it. And he did, he, the boy came to his dad and said, Dad, I, I can't get it. And the dad asked his son, Son, have you tried everything? Did you use all your strength? And the little boy answered, Yes, Dad, I used every ounce of strength I have. And Dad smiled and said, There's one thing you didn't do. You didn't ask me for help. And so the boy and the dad walked back over to the rock and worked on it together and picked that thing right up out of the ground. Like that dad, God our Father offers us his infinite strength to get through life, to thrive in life, to bring him much glory in our lives and to partner with Jesus for his purposes in our lives. As Jesus explains in Acts 1.8, that the power of the Holy Spirit is given so that we can be his partners, his witnesses in the world. Acts 1.8, one of Jesus' final things that he said before ascending into heaven, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, which he did in Acts 2. And this is the purpose for that power. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, your own hometown, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, we, we love that verse. It's an amazing verse. And we claim that power. We should be. He's offered it to us. The Holy Spirit comes upon us and indwells us at the moment of our salvation. And he's just ready to give us power for a joy-filled, successful, powerful, godly life. But if we choose not to be his witnesses, that's a choice. If we choose not to pray, then the Holy Spirit will not work in your life. Understand this. The Holy Spirit isn't going to work in your life if you've chosen not to pray and if you've chosen not to be his witnesses. That's our calling, especially in life's crises where we are right now. And here's the truth that we must apply. It all starts with our prayers. The Bible proclaims over and over, this is where it all starts. Don't even try to do anything without it. It starts here. It starts with our prayers. Now, we immediately jump into things on our own power. We do it all throughout the day, every day. That's just what we do. We need to stop and remember this constantly, that the first thing to do is to power up with prayer. Our, our lives and our actions, we power all of it with prayer and know that God shares his infinite power with us in our prayers. This is what the Bible says, John 14, 13 through 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. It's the power that he holds out to us. So in life's crisis, pray to get right with God right now. And some of you need to pray Philippians 4, 6, and 7 right now. Some of you need to pray this in your life right now. And our hearts are hurting with many of yours out there right now. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Claim this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let them be known to God. Just pray. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, which blows your mind, is another way to say it, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Claim that today, brothers and sisters. 
God wants this relationship with us to wipe out our anxieties. That's what he wants. He gives us the power to do that through his Holy Spirit. He wants to fulfill his purposes through us. That's God's part. Now what is our part? What's our part? Of course, it's to pray. But what is our part in our prayers? And we're going to answer this question by looking at four things the Bible teaches that happen when we pray for people. Okay, this is a call to action. We can pray about everything. But we're, we're focusing today in this season of prayer, heading into Easter time, on praying for people in our lives. God has put us in our lives. He's saved us and planted us where we are to reach the people that we know. And so it all starts with prayer. Here's what happens. Four things that happens when we pray for people. So we're, we're going to call this section, When We Pray for People. Four things. When we pray for people, God convicts them of their sins and draws them to himself. Jesus states this in John 16, 8. God convicts them. When he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what the Holy Spirit does as we partner with him when we pray. When we pray for people, number two, God takes away the blinders from their eyes so that they can understand the gospel. Remember, Paul says this many times. The gospel is the wisdom of God, which is foolishness to humans. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. If you recognize that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, your eyes have been unblinded. Now, have you ever met anybody? You have people in your lives that are um, doubtful or antagonistic towards Christianity, somebody that's put off by Christianity. What can you do? They might be your neighbors, your friends, your parents, your loved ones, your kids. What can you do? Pray for them. That God will remove the blinders from their minds so they can understand the wonder and the power of the gospel and receive it. When we pray for people, number three, God sovereignly works and arranges divine appointments with them. This is, with, this is true with our prayers for people locally right around us. We just seem to miraculously have people led across our paths when we pray. Have you ever prayed, Lord, give, a, give me a conversation with somebody? Or have you ever heard somebody say, that could just not have been coincidence? God made that happen? He does those things, divine appointments. Maybe you came to Christ. Maybe you came to faith in Christ because of that very thing. I know several people that have told me their stories of how they came to Christ. And they were not pursuing God. They were not looking for Jesus. But it was just something kept happening. They would get a gospel track here. They would meet a stranger there that said something or somebody that invited them to church. Or they took a wrong turn and got lost and asked this person for directions. And they told them about Jesus. And it finally breaks them. God is pursuing with these divine appointments. Pray. When we pray, God moves people and arranges these things in our lives. God is on the move. And we need to pray for our missionaries as well. Uh, that's the fuel. If you know any missionaries, they beg you for prayers because they know that's the fuel that makes their ministries impactful. That's the fuel that opens doors to hard hearts. We're going to pray for our missionaries as part of the concert of prayer and, and hopefully for all of our lives. And fourth, when we pray for people, God will give us all the wisdom we need to say just the right words at just the right time. Often we fear, most of us fear, uh, what we would say in a Jesus conversation. 
But look at what Jesus says, Luke 12, 11 through 12. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. The Holy Spirit empowers us to be his witnesses. We don't need to be afraid. The way I've put it over the years is what I've discovered is even if you hack your way through, even if you hack your way through some conversation about Jesus, about your faith in him, about something that you thought you knew, but you realized you didn't. Even if you hack your way through that conversation, the Holy Spirit uses your faithfulness and your obedience. So it doesn't matter what your performance is. I love what Neil Cole says. He's a, uh, an author and a church planter that came, that's in this denomination, actually. And, and uh, he, his whole ministry is built around just a, a few main points. One of those main points is heavy praying for the lost in your lives. He downplays evangelism training. Now, we'll do evangelistic training, teach people how to share the gospel and things. That's, that's good. But he downplays that because he says, look, if you're praying for the lost people in your life every day, the people who need Jesus every day, you don't need training. You're going to figure out how to get there. Pray for the lost people who don't know Jesus yet. Brothers and sisters and friends, we have looked today now at how God demonstrates his power and his works, his purposes, and he works his purposes in the crises of history. And we've seen how God graciously partners with us in that, and it starts with prayer. So here are some next steps that I'm going to encourage you to take. Are you ready? Here's what we can do right now. Starting today, this afternoon, we're going to enter a, a season of prayer for two weeks leading up to Easter. But here's, here's all the next steps. I have three today. Number one is to trust Jesus as your Savior. If you haven't done that yet, by now you've heard the claims of the gospel of who Jesus is, the unfolding plan of redemption, and how he has done the work on the cross already. You don't have to do any work. You just have to trust him and believe in him. Repent of your own self as God. And here's the thing. We have prayed for you. We have prayed for you, which means the Holy Spirit is moving in your living room or wherever you are right now. That This is the day of your salvation. Here's how. Just I'm going to close my eyes and pray. It's not a ma- it's not, there's nothing magical about closing your eyes. Just be undistracted right now. And just pray something like this. God, I believe that you're real. I've sensed it. I know it. And you've told me how to know you. It's through Jesus, your son, and his sacrifice. I can't do it on my own. I'm tired of trying. Lord, forgive me, a sinner. I trust that Jesus will wipe those sins away. I want that. I want you. I want to know you. I want to become spiritually alive for the first time through Jesus. It's what he offers. Forgive me and save me. Heal me. Make me your son or your daughter, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you do that or have done that, please let us know, because then the whole rest of our walk with with each other growing in Christ um, takes place, and we want to be on that walk with you. Next, then, is commit to our Easter prayer plan. Here's how Community Grace is going to partner with God to transform the world. We're still trying to figure out some of the details in this sudden change of doing everything virtually. Uh, But here's what we know right now. 
the concert of prayer, which we were going to have over lunch and gathering together. Uh, but I'm ex- actually excited with, with what we have. It launches a two-week season of prayer. Tune in today, this afternoon at 2 o'clock. Uh, also, join the e-prayer team to fully participate in the ongoing prayer measures over the next two weeks and then beyond. And to do that, fill out the communication card that's online on the resource page and type in, I want to join the e-prayer team and make sure you put your email address on there. And then you'll be filtered right into that. The invest and invite cards, which Ben showed earlier, this is where you write down several names of the people who are in your life that don't know Jesus. I just happen to have Dave Goshert's card here. I'm not going to read the names. We're going to keep those confidential. We're not going to put them out online. But you type that in, and here's what's going to happen when you type in those names. These are my neighbors, my family, the people God has put in my life from work or school or wherever they are. You put their names on there, and the elders and staff are going to pray for them by name. Okay, and then I want you to pray for them by name as well. Among your family or trade it with a friend or your small group, share these these burdens in prayer and watch God work. We're going to pray for a variety of other things at the Concert of Prayer as well, which we're going to live stream just right here, mostly with our elders. But we're going to call to prayer for our to pray for our church, for our Easter services, for our, all of our ministries, for our world, for our world's leaders. Just one more thing, just one more story I want to tell you is uh, the elders in the last two weeks called all the church, everybody in the directory. I hope that you got a phone call. And on my list was chaplain, U.S. Army Chaplain Billy Graham. And I've heard lots of good things about our own Billy Graham. And uh, I was happy to see him on my call list. So I called him, and he answered the phone. He works in the Pentagon. He said, if I was at work in the Pentagon today, I would have not answered my phone. But here I am sitting in my shorts, and I answered the phone. So we had a great conversation. And it was a lot of fun to know, to get to know him. And then at the end, I asked, how can we pray for you? And you know his primary request? He works in the Pentagon right now with some of our nation's top leaders. He says, pray for these leaders of our nation. They have a huge burden on their shoulders right now. And we need to pray for them. That's something that God, that God commands anyway. But I wanted to share you, that with you because we're going to pray for those kind of things at the concert of prayer as well. And in the, in the emails that we send, and we're going to be together uh, through the Holy Spirit, even though we can't be together physically. And this is going to be a sweet, sweet season, heading into Easter. Well, the final next step is one that we're going to keep talking about, and we'll keep giving updates how you can do it. It's to give Christ-like love to the world. This is our calling. It's sacrificial. Christians following Christ, we're the ones who run into the burning building. We're the one who deplete our bank accounts. We're the ones who adopt unwanted children. We're the ones who love our enemies, right? If we're following Christ, we are. So this is a a call and encouragement, a reminder to do those things. During isolation, you can do things like shop for people at high risk. Put yourself out there. Support struggling businesses and their employees. Add that extra tip in Jesus' name. I was able to do that a couple days ago. and, And, uh, you know, just everything you can possibly think of. There are people, now that we're a couple weeks into this, some people are really having a hard time, and that will increase as time goes on. I'm going to encourage you to give generously to our church's general budget and then also to the deacon fund, and you can give online or or mail checks to the church. We are getting our mail. That's the one thing we're doing in the office right now. Uh, The deacon fund is where we disperse money to all the, the tangible needs that come across. 
So I ask you to be generous to that. Um, that's a, that's a, a great way for us all to be involved. And then finally, proclaim Christ. That's what the world needs more than anything, is just to know that God is in control and he's given us Jesus and they need to meet him. Let's pray right now for all these things to be set in motion. And then we'll pause for the worship team to come back up. Lord, our God, our sovereign God, who allows us to know you and to love you and to worship you and to be completely free from all the burden and slavery to sin, addiction, slavery, depression, sadness, all those things. We pray to you and we lift you up, knowing that you lift us up. And we're so thankful for that. Lord, I know this prayer that's going right before your throne is powerful because you've made it so. And so I pray for community grace that's out there in the living rooms right now, looking at each other while I'm praying, smiling at each other, and, and thinking about what this might look like in their homes and their lives, how they could help, how they need help. Lord, I just pray that your spirit will do his wonderful work through this live stream, through the spirit, the community grace, and everybody will reach. Warsaw, Kosciuszko County, Indiana, to the ends of the earth. We pray for our missionaries right now, that they will be so empowered and just delighted in you, not in circumstances, but in you, and that you will tear down barriers right now in their lives um, between them and the people that you have appointed uh, for them to reach for Jesus. Lord, we pray that we'll close with our worship song right now with joyful, worshipful hearts. Thank you so much for this team that puts this on. We pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.